0: Welcome back to The Attention Podcast, where you learn how to gain and retain the attention of your buyers to grow an audience. I'm Dan Sanchez with Sweetfish, and today I talked to Kathleen Booth, who is the SVP of Marketing at Tradeswell, about the difference between content marketing and building a media company. In this episode, we cover how Kathleen is now approaching audience growth what it means to be an audience-focused company, and the one thing you have to accomplish to build a successful media brand today. All right, let's get into it. Kathleen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dan. Absolutely. I've been looking forward to this one because we're talking about a topic that has become or becoming like just near and dear to my heart. And that's the topic of building a company audience first. So I'd love to kick off this conversation about what it means to be audience first for a company these days.
1: Yeah, I'm super passionate about this topic as well. And I think what it means is that it's all about flipping our understanding of traditional marketing on its head and, you know, being able to look at marketing and understand that while we have all been taught that marketing is about taking an existing product and then finding an audience for it. In reality, it's much more efficient and effective to build an audience and then introduce your product. So that's the simplest way of understanding it.
0: So do you see this coming alongside like other terms like product first? Or do you see this as replacing product first for some companies?
1: no i think i think in many cases it's very kind of hand in hand so you can think of it audience first as temporal which it certainly can be like you build your audience and then you introduce the product to them but you can also think of it as a mindset to me you know there are different ways of going about this depending upon what you want to accomplish if you are a company that's going to build a product basically what this is all about is not waiting until the product is ready to start marketing and to start building your audience. There are some companies that don't start with a product though. I mean, there are a lot of companies these days. You look at The Hustle, Morning Brew. You can look at other media platforms like Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop. There's a company called Freight Waves in the freight space. They, they built media platforms essentially. And then the audiences that they developed gave them the springboard upon which to introduce products later. And the products were really developed based on what the audience was telling that company that they wanted. So you can come at this from two directions. You can come at it from the direction of, I have a product that I'm going to need to market. Why wait until it's ready to go to start to build my audience? Or I'm going to build an audience and let that audience tell me what the product is that I should build.
0: It's funny is when I think of building an audience, obviously, I actually try to think of the the content we're creating to build an audience as the product, right? You almost have to think of yourself as being a media company, and that your media is the product so that you can build the audience so that you can then launch something more than advertising, right? Because that's how most media companies monetize is just through through ads, which I think the hustle and Morning Brew, I think that was a primary one until they got acquired, right? But now as an audience for HubSpot, obviously, it, it makes quite a bit more.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, when you're in the media business and, and and for years I've heard people say to marketers like we we're all media companies and it's easy it's an easy thing to say but understanding what it really means is difficult and not maybe difficult but perhaps more nuanced. I think there's two dimensions to this and you touched on both of them. One is thinking of your content as the product itself. That is the the product that your audience is purchasing, whether they're using money to purchase it or their time and attention. Those are different forms of currency. But then you have another customer, which is your advertisers, if you choose to accept them or sponsors. And for them, your audience is the product. And so it's this cascading effect where your advertisers and sponsors want access to your audience. And to build a high-quality audience product, you need to have a high-quality content product. So there's this domino effect that occurs, and that's why you have to put your audience first, because ultimately, the audience is kind of the last link in that chain. That's the, the end product that needs to be of real value to your sponsors and your advertisers or to you as a business. Like, think of yourself as your own sponsor advertiser. If you're not taking on outside advertising or sponsorship, presumably it's because you have chosen to be the primary advertiser sponsor by sinking your funds into the creation of the media, the audience, et cetera. So at any rate, what it means is that that audience, you need need it to be large and loyal and consistent. And you get that way by producing really great content.
0: Now, I've certainly been hearing the media thing for at least 12 years. I feel like I started hearing that first around 2010. And I remember hearing in this is the beginning of my career and being like, yeah, that's the thing.
1: Yeah. But what does it really mean?
0: <laughs> 12 years later, I'm like, uh, are we really doing that though? Because yeah. I don't think this is what it looks like to work at a media company yeah. necessarily. So with most people doing content marketing, certainly, what do you see the differences is between doing content marketing and actually acting like, a, like an in-house media company?
1: Yeah. So I, there's this continuum, right? And I think you can fall any place along the continuum. And for me... If you think of the beginning of the continuum as being like the marketing part of content, you know, when people start with content marketing, they're very often focused on product centric content, you know, where they're creating blogs that answer questions about the product or are designed to educate about it. And then you sort of evolve in content marketing and you get to the point where you're really still trying to promote a product, but you're doing it via educating your audience. And so that's what I would consider to be more of a full funnel content marketing strategy where you're trying to create content that that is ad- addressing the pain points and the needs and the challenges of your audience, but ultimately it's all designed to head somebody back to your product, right? And then you go further on that continuum and you get to the point where you're really creating content that is about the needs of your audience beyond your product. It might not have anything to do with your product, but it speaks to the day-to-day life the interests, the challenges, and the needs of that audience. And that's where you start to get more into that media company mindset. But then the next step really is, okay, we're creating this content, but how do we productize it? And what media companies do really well has a couple of things. Number one, they think episodically. And so, you know, traditionally when we think about content marketing, a lot of us just by default think about written content and written content is still very valuable, but there's so much more than that out there. And if you think today about how people consume content with Netflix and Hulu and all these other platforms where we go and we binge and, you know, a new series comes out and we discover it and we're obsessed, you know, media companies are thinking more and more like that. And not just with their shows if you will like when you look at podcasts like serial that was episodic there's also episodic written content and what the thing with episodic shows is they're really good at building audiences and momentum over time whereas traditional marketing content like you might sink a lot of money into a research report or an ebook or a white paper and very often you get an initial bang for your buck and then it tapers. Media content is the exact opposite. It might start slower, but it builds and builds and builds. And so the long-term value is much higher with media content. So the type of content you're producing is one thing. The other thing is this issue of consistency. And the goal being what media companies do really well is they build a habit amongst their audience. So this is a key point of differentiation and I just wanna stop for a second and say, if somebody's listening, this is the part to pay attention to. So with traditional marketing, it's all about getting in front of somebody when they're in their buying journey, right? You want to capture the intention of the in-market buyer. With the media approach, it's about building an audience regardless of whether they're in market, regardless of whether they currently have a need or they're currently going to buy. Because again, the audience is the product. And so you know, eventually, how does that translate into product sales for you? Well, eventually that person may have a need or they may know somebody who has a need. And so there's this flywheel that develops through that. But the idea here is to develop a habit amongst your audience that they're coming back to your site, they're consuming your content, whether they are in a buying cycle or not. And so that's why you see so many media companies producing really frequent newsletters. You know, like you think of CNN's five things, which goes out every day. There are others that do it weekly or maybe two or three times a week. It's all about like consistently getting in front of that person and having them make the choice to invest a part of their routine in consuming your content.
0: I love what you said about it being a continuum. Like There's a spectrum here as far as content marketing and media company goes. Um, and on one end, we have product-focused content. On the other end, I'd like to better define what that is. Would you say it's like a media outlet that's focused on all the things your ideal buyer cares about? Is that kind yeah. of like what's on the other end?
1: Yeah. So I would almost go back to the whole Simon Sinek start with a why thing, right? Like it's, it's less about product and, and, and selling somebody something. And it's more about like, what is something deep in that person that you're appealing to that they're coming to you for? And it could be a problem they want to solve. It could be an aspirational thing. What I mean by that is this, When you think about media companies and and people regularly engaging with them, we often think of subscriptions, right? Subscriptions are something that people purchase because they're looking to consistently get value out of it. And think about your classic newspaper subscription. Like, I'm subscribing because I want to read the newspaper every day. With a subscription— it's transactional, and I'm going to churn as soon as I stop getting value. So this is why that habit is so important and why you know newspapers want to put something in there that makes you coming back every single day. Now, that's one thing you can kind of work towards in your content, but the, the other thing, the thing that's even more powerful than that is cause and so the example i would hold up to illustrate the point i'm about to make is the washington post so the washington post has always had a subscription and when i used to live in washington dc i subscribed but there came a point where i didn't have the time in my day to read the full washington post and i thought i I can't keep paying for this it's crazy so i stopped subscribing because i was not getting that day-to-day value i didn't have that habit right So what the Washington Post did that changed the game for me and for many other readers is they introduced a a higher level, kind of more mission-driven purpose behind the newspaper. And they introduced the tagline, democracy dies in darkness. And so today, and this is just my media consumption, but today I subscribe to the Post. And you know what? If I read it once a week, that's a good week but I will not give up my subscription because it's moved beyond habit now and into I want to associate myself with this bigger mission, cause, set of values. And so- these are two different dimensions to the media play, and I think the most successful media companies are really combining the two. They're building a habit, but they're giving people a higher purpose to aspire to, something that they want to be associated with. And so going back to your question, when you think about what kind of content you're creating along that continuum, you, know, you, you go to that sort of, what is habit forming? What's something I can get somebody to keep coming back for? And then the ultimate is, what is some higher purpose that is going to make someone want to be affiliated with? my content, whether they're regularly deriving value or not.
0: Makes me think people need to build. I mean, what you're talking about is start with why, but also kind of like Andy Raskin's strategic narrative, but applied to your content, almost like your brand, like your media brand needs to have its own little strategic narrative to get people to care.
1: Yeah, and I think this is why you also see so many media brands creating communities today, too, because it's about coalescing people around something that they believe strongly in and that they have an emotional attachment to. Anytime you you develop that emotional attachment, it's very powerful. And, you know, I've been reading a really interesting book called, I think it's called Cult Brand, and it talks about how, you know, when you become part of the most powerful communities, it's not about it's not about becoming a part of something else. It's about you feeling more like yourself. So you're identifying with something in that brand, in that community that taps into something that you feel about yourself, but the brand is able to to depict in the broader world. And and a good example of that is like Harley Davidson. You know, people, I think I read, I did a podcast interview lately with somebody who, who mentioned and talked about this concept and said, that the Harley Davidson logo is the number two most tattooed thing in the world. And the number one thing is mom. So... You know, the the thing about Harley-Davidson that they've done really well is they've tapped into something that people identify within themselves, which is that spirit of freedom, of independence. And they're a part of that community. They consume Harley's content because it makes them feel more like who they think they truly are. And so I think the really good media companies do that. Red Bull is a great example of a brand that has transcended and become a media company in exactly this way. Because... People see Red Bull's content and they think, oh, that's me. Inside, I might not be an X Games, you know, competitor, but inside there's a piece of me that like is that radical person who wants to take risks.
0: Something aspirational, something they want to be associated with or want yeah. people to, you know, be about them like or see about themselves. I've noticed like outdoors brands like Patagonia and North Face have definitely become that, right? Yeah. Which just makes me think our media channels probably need different branding than our product? Would you say it's better to build two separate brands because they might have different positions?
1: Yeah, I think it depends, honestly. You know, I I use the example of Red Bull and it's, while they're selling very different things through their media than they are with their drinks, it's all kind of very cohesive from a branding standpoint. But then you have other examples more recently, like HubSpot purchased The Hustle and the hustle isn't changing and it you know they're keeping the brand extremely separate and that's really because they want they wanted the audience they wanted to preserve the integrity of the brand they didn't want it to seem product associated and so i don't think there's any one right path for everyone you know spoiler alert we're doing something at tradeswall where i just started as head of marketing i don't know when this is going to air but probably close to around the time that we're going to have a big announcement about a media property that is going to be separate from our main brand and for us that just made sense and the reason we went that direction is because we really didn't want people to see the media property as captive to the company or to the brand or as a
0: vehicle to push product. Would you think one of the advantages of keeping it separate is it feels a little bit more like earned media than it does owned media?
1: You know, I'm a little skeptical about that only because I think people are people see through all that stuff. I think at the end of the day you have to, you know, you have to follow through and if you want it to seem like earned media, you need to really Run the media arm of your business like you're running a you know a journalism outlet, and so I think that's what the breast brands do. I mean, Equinox Fitness launched a magazine, and they hired. It was I think it was like the fitness editor from I want to say Self Magazine, you know. And so a lot of these a lot of these companies that are launching media arms are doing it in this very very serious way, where they're saying we're not just going to hire a content marketer and you know, put a new hat on them and say, now you're running a media company. We're going to hire somebody who's come out of professional journalism. A great example that I just saw, which is super exciting, is Recorded Future, one of the largest, most kind of successful cybersecurity companies in the world, has the record which is their media property. And they hired Dina Temple Rastin, the NPR host, to host their podcast. Like she's, she comes right out of NPR. She's extremely well known. And now she's hosting a business podcast. It's not about cybersecurity, it's about technology. It's fascinating what they're doing. And so, like, those are all examples of really forward thinking brands that are treating this seriously.
0: What would you say some of the steps are for B2B companies specifically could take if they're currently in the game of creating content that's, mostly about their products. Yeah. What steps did they take to becoming a media company?
1: So this is a, such a, an important question and I'm so glad you asked it because it's really easy to talk about this and to throw out examples like Equinox Fitness and Recorded Future and HubSpot and, you know, and, and these are all really big companies with massive, massive amounts of money <laughs> to spend on these strategies. But it's important to understand that you don't need to be large or well-funded to do it. There's a couple of things, again, remembering that it's a continuum and not you know a binary you are or you aren't situation. I think the things that you can start to think about as a company are what are the standards around which we create content, number one? Are we just looking at our content strategy as this full funnel approach where it's all eventually geared towards attracting a buyer or are we thinking of our audience as the whole people that they are? And are we willing to create content that has nothing to do with our product, but that is useful and appealing to our audience? What would get somebody consistently coming back to read our content who may never buy from us? I always talk about the fact that that these days, buying decisions are made in these walled gardens, right? Like as a head of marketing, when I need software, I go into my Slack channels and I talk to three other heads of marketing and I say, what are you using? And they give me a list and then I go to those websites. I'm not Googling trying to find software. I'm just going right to the companies that make it based on the recommendations I got. Well, how does that process happen? That process happens because people in these Slack channels who are either current customers of these companies or, or who aren't customers but have just heard of them are throwing out these names. And so how do you become the name that gets mentioned in the private community? You do that by appealing to people who are not currently in active buying cycles. Cause the person in the active buying cycle isn't coming to Google to find you, they're coming to their peers. So you have to, it's almost like you're building an audience of peers. So it's what you're publishing and then it's the mindset with which you approach it. Are, you know, could you put editorial standards in place that are similar to those that a publication has? Are you taking your content seriously like a journalism outlet would? Do you have a professional editor? And then I guess the last thing is like content formats and how can you really start to think about episodic content or other formats of content that will contribute to this habit forming element that I talked about earlier? What would get somebody coming back multiple times a week to your website? It's not going to just be your full funnel marketing blogs.
0: (laughs) Ma'am, I almost wonder if to take a step in that direction, they one need to talk about just things that are related to what their audience cares about that may not be related to their product but it's in it's in the realm you know it's broader industry stuff and maybe talk about it in such a way where it's like they might talk about their competitors somehow like if you're doing a roundup of all the software like all, if you are doing a roundup of all the things that are your that is included in your tool it might include everybody instead of just being about you yeah oh absolutely i mean of course you might weight it a little bit more towards yourself but <laughs> You might actually point out that it's hard to be uh, hard to be biased. You might so you might point out your own bias in your own article. Yeah,
1: I would argue that your regular content marketing strategy should should incorporate that anyway. That's a very powerful thing you can do. I would say, you know, definitely good media companies accept outside content contributions. Like, mm. you know, you they have people who guest author, they have they might instead of having their own podcast they have a podcast network and they and they take podcasts from other people and make them a part of their strategy they might curate content but it's about letting go a little bit and recognizing that to produce something really meaningful you might not be able to do it all yourself right because if somebody's going to come back to your site every day or multiple times a week Odds are they're you know they're looking for a high volume of content. They are going to be discerning. They're not going to read everything that you produce or watch every video you make. And so, how do you get to that point of volume? Well, you can do it through contributors, through partners, through freelancers. There's a lot of ways structurally to produce that volume of content.
0: Well, Kathleen, thank you so much for joining me on the Attention Podcast. This has been really insightful for me, and I can't wait to think about how to even take this into Sweetfish and execute what we're already doing even better. Uh, Where can people learn more about you and learn more about what's going on with TradesWell online? Sure. Well,
1: you can learn more about me on my website, which is kathleen-booth.com. And then TradesWell is just tradeswell.com.
0: Fantastic. Looking forward to seeing what you guys are launching soon. Hopefully around the time this episode goes out. Thanks again for joining me.
1: Thanks, Dan. This was fun. This was fun.
0: Now let's talk about what caught my attention in this interview Now, Kathleen is one of the sharpest marketers I've ever interacted with on LinkedIn, so I'm not surprised that she's ahead of the game when it comes to building an audience and launching an audience-first company. Her biggest insight of the whole podcast was the one that she certainly raised her hand on and said, hold on, if you're only going to take away one thing, this is it. And I want to elaborate a little bit on it because she said, if you're going to build a successful media brand, you essentially need to build a habit-forming Media brand, you know, you need to be able to get them to think about you habitually, so that they're coming to come check your content all the time, all the time, not just every once in a while, right? And it kind of makes sense because there's habit forming products, and the one, products that are most habit forming are the ones that get used the most, which are the ones that grow, the ones that get mentioned, and the ones that um, everybody shares with their friends. So, how do we do that? We mentioned a few ways in the show, so I want to repeat those and then talk about a few ways that came to mind. And honestly, this is a topic that I need to be exploring a little bit more in depth. And we'll probably revisit in a solo episode later as I think of more ways to build a habit forming content channel. So even I'm trying to think about how I can apply it to this very podcast. So let's go into a few ways you can do that. The obvious one is the time of day. Doing it in the morning, at noon, dinner, evening, right before bed. Is there a best time for your customers to check in with you? Or is there a time that is kind of interesting? You know, I almost think like, what would a marketing wind down look like? Honestly, I hate listening to that kind of stuff in the evenings. My brain gets going, then I can't sleep. But what if it was like a wake up, like marketing in the morning or marketing? I remember James and I did a live event once called Marketing at Noon. Time of week also works. Morning, uh, Monday marketing or something like that. Like there's all kinds of little things and little alliteration plays you can do to make it more memorable. So day of the week, I also think there's a place for you to map to an existing daily habit of your customer. I mean, if you're really adventurous, like, what about that moment when you're going to the bathroom, right? this I don't know, there's a minute or two. <laughs> I mean, okay, that's quite adventurous, but it's a moment nonetheless. What about when they're getting ready? When they're doing their hair? Walking their dog? Exercising? What kind of moments are your customers having all the time, maybe professionally, that you can play to for your content channel. Maybe you can map to a situation every time they're going out shopping. I know a lot of B2C companies would love that, but since we're talking mostly B2B here, I'm trying to think of ways to create a habit forming content channel. It's something worth exploring. And I'll certainly be covering it a little bit later in this podcast as I think about how to do that with this podcast.